If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What was that? Your laundry? I don't know. No, it's gone. What was that? I have no idea. That was, that was the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I thought the aliens were coming. It has been so long since I spoke with you. I know. It's been like, I just looked at my non-existent watch. (laughs) And we both know how much time we just spent trying to find my watch. And that didn't happen. But if I were to guesstimate, I would say it's been about four hours since I spoke to you last. Yep. That sounds about right. (laughs) Actually, that's a lie. No, yeah. Four hours because it's almost eight. So totally that. All day training and now back to this. I'm just getting my alley fix right now between yesterday and tomorrow and today and this episode. Like, ugh, I'm so happy. That is literally just life going forward, so. I know. I have so much to look forward to. (laughs) I can't wait for my days to be filled with alley-isms and all the things, and I'm just stupid excited. Agreed. Also, you're an amazing trainer. Oh, thank you. Yep, just calm that really, out. I really, really don't feel like I agree with you, but I appreciate the compliment. I'm trying to take the compliment, but also I recognize between yesterday and today the number of times where I was like, this is how we're supposed to do it, but I don't do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Holly, if you're listening, I promise I'm teaching her good things. Whoops. Hey, dear listeners, welcome back to the show. If you are new here, we're taboos. We discuss taboo topics, often with drinks in hand. And foul mouths. If you are new, you will learn very quickly. I have a pretty fucking foul mouth. Yeah, let's be real. We're not going to get picked up by any main networks because uh, there's far too much cursing in this podcast. I don't know if that's true. Call Her Daddy says all kinds of bad words. They're on a mainstream thing. Who knows? True. Do you want to assault your microphone a little bit more, or what? No. Maybe. Sure. It learned its lesson? Yes. Okay. What a great segue for today's topic. (laughs) Oh, I I did that on accident. I just saw you punch your microphone like three times in a row, so I just was really confused what was happening. So I was going to ask you what you're drinking, but because that segue is so great, I'm just going to glide right into what we're talking about first and then we are gonna loop back we will loop back loop-de-loo motherfuckers so in continuing love is love month love is love we are taking a little bit of a different angle on love today with the topic of bdsm bdsm what the fuck was that 
I was just trying like my BDSM cheerleader voice. Yeah, I'm gonna hard pass. <laughs> Maybe I'll find some other good cheers throughout this episode. Who knows? I'm feeling I'm feeling a little cheerful. I'm feeling cheerish. So who knows what I'm capable of in this episode? I'm intrigued to find out. So I kind of wanted to give some background as to why I wanted to cover BDSM as a topic within this month because it seems kind of like an outlier to this theme. That doesn't make it any less important, though. Very true. So I was thinking about it, and in February, obviously, you have Valentine's Day, and Valentine's Day you see the furry handcuffs and the cute lingerie and basically all of the quote-unquote kinky stuff comes out to play because people see it as a reason to experiment in the bedroom and try new things with their partners. And I thought that fit in very well because trust and love go hand in hand and that's what BDSM is all about. I absolutely love all this. I think this is amazing. I'm literally so fucking excited that I could just scream. I'm super, super anxious to learn what you've learned in this research. I really sincerely cannot wait for all the whips and chains and Rihanna moment. Like, I am here for it, baby! You know, I immediately thought back to last week's episode and you asking me what my favorite Ludacris song was. And while I was doing these notes, all I could think was whips and chains, handcuffs, snack a little booty up with my belt. You rapped for me! Yes! I'm sorry to everybody else that had to hear that. I love it. I am normally the rapper in this family, so this was a big deal. Oh, I'm so excited about this. That was just the best way to start this episode. So to loop back around, though, what are you drinking today? Today, I have another Stray Forth product. This one is Cherry Apple Cider Salvation. Would you like to see the can? I would love to see the can. Oh my god, he's so cute. Isn't he so cute? He is a... Okay, you guys, I'm looking at this can. And again, cherry, apple cider, salvation. It is a fox, but the fox has two heads. And one head has a cherry and one head has an apple. And it's just one body. And he's got like little flower blossoms everywhere. Ugh. I fucking love these cans. I love this product. Again, same as last week, zero carbs, zero sugar, 100 calories per serving, and gluten-free. And I just, I I like them. This one's not as good as the um, clairvoyance one, in my opinion, but it's really, really good. Dear Stray Forth, if you would like future ad placement, our email is taboospodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up. I would gladly promote the fuck out of your products what are you drinking over there lovely lady so nick actually picked up something specific for me on the way home today and it was on our dry bar dry bar mini bar i don't know what this is i'm not a connoisseur of i would bars. call that a dry bar and connoisseur of bars only leg bars see what i did there do you do you see what i did there i don't know what this means no the bar that the the bar that goes like in between your ankles that like keeps your legs spread open. Gotcha. Okay. You really made me explain this and I had to do the visual with my fingers. Yes. This was so uncomfortable. All right. Well, 
Now that we're there. <laughs> Tell me what you're drinking. He picked me up a vodka and cranberry juice, which I have not had in, I literally don't even know how long, and I forgot how fucking refreshing this drink can be. So yeah, it's delicious, and I already have a third of it gone, so that's probably fairly dangerous. Oh, and it's in my Taboos cup from Melissa. Oh, look at Um, Did we ever talk about our Taboos cups from Miss Melissa? Not on the episode, I don't think. Only on Twitter? Um. Okay, so... He- Here's a prime opportunity for us to just absolutely worship the shit out of our graphic designer, Melissa, who is fucking incredible and beautiful and smart and talented and amazing, and we are so fucking grateful to have her. She sent us the cutest glasses for Christmas, and they're our font, and they say taboos, and then they have our names on them, and... I am adamant that she needs one also, because obviously she's on the team, so that's going to happen. But they're the cutest ever, and I'm so surprised we didn't talk about them sooner. So, dear Miss Melissa, we love you so fucking much, and you're the cutest, and uh, grateful, 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 grateful for you. All those things. All right, now that we've covered those things. The things. Are you ready to dive into this episode? Face first, baby. Do we have a safe word? Uh, <laughs> I like picnic. Let's make picnic our safe word. That works for me. <laughs> Your fucking face. <laughs> it was between. It was between picnic or hedgehog. So I liked picnic because it went out. It came out of my mouth really quickly. What in the actual fuck? You know, Allie. There's a lot wrong with me. We can't talk about it. (laughs) Okay. Random ass safe words aside, I do have a disclaimer for this episode. Disclaimer away, baby. So there is a content warning for this one. This episode will be discussing some scenarios that may be a trigger such as descriptions of physical harm to others. BDSM can have some unnecessary negative connotations associated with it. Due to this, we want to make clear that the principles of BDSM as a practice and our personal values on this show align in being adamantly against any acts that are not consented to by a participating adult. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm here for it. I, I'm with you. So let's let's hit it. Ooh, wait. I didn't mean that as a pun, but it was punny. That's just going to be this entire episode. I'm ready. I, I'm so excited. So my primary resources for this episode were kinkly.com. Ranker.com, FirstNews.com, HealthyStud.com, and Lioness.io. I loved like five of those website names, so I am here for it. So I figured we'd start off with the definition. BDSM is a combined acronym for bondage, discipline, dominance, and submission, and sadism, and masochism. There's a lot of isms there. This is true. As usual, I have some history lined up here. Because you history, bro. Sometimes I wonder if our listeners can hear the head shake and eye roll at myself. Oh, yeah. Oh, they definitely can. Dear listeners, please confirm for Allie that you can hear her eye roll and head shakes. So this information is primarily from kinkly.com. In Mesopotamia, which is considered one of history's first advanced civilizations dating back to over 12,000 years ago, some of the first stories that were written down involved sexual acts of dominance and submission, mostly centered around the powerful goddess Inanna, also known as Ishtar. 
So this started as a religious practice? Did I just understand you say that correctly? Well, for some people, yes. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I was on board. It was a smaller subsect of people. Okay. So she was the goddess of fertility, passion, and warfare, and many stories involved her triumph in invading other deities' domains. She would force men to bow down to her to show submission and would whip her subjects to arouse them as they danced for her, which would entice them into sexual frenzies. She sounds like a badass bitch. Yeah, kind of sounds like a warrior princess. I'm about it. So this is a direct quote. One hymn about Inanna mentions acts like cross-dressing, altered states of consciousness, and rituals imbued with pain and ecstasy. Why do I feel like her name is in a Nicki Minaj song? I don't have a good answer for you. It is. Oh, na na, look what you done started. That is legitimately in a fucking Nicki Minaj song. Well, her name is Inanna. I-N-A-N-N-A. Okay, all right, carry on. Random vowels. <laughs> Picnic! How many times do I get to use the safe word? <laughs> oh my god. Your mic clearly didn't learn the lesson. It didn't. <laughs> Within ancient Greece, there are records of ritual flagation. A religious cult dedicated to the goddess Artemis Orthia would use whipping as an initiation rite. Plutarch, the Greek-turned-Roman biographer, wrote of Spartan whipping competitions at this goddess's altar. This is a quote from Ranker. They bravely endured this, cheerful and proud, vying with one another for the supremacy as to which one of them could endure being beaten for the longer time and the greater number of blows, and the one who was victorious was held in a special repute. I just really imagine how intense this is. I really think about, like, literally... A competition to see who can get the shit kicked out of them the most. Like, but, like, whipping is a terrible thing to happen to your body in that way. The way that you're talking about this ritualistic happening. Like, you know that that shit is, like, scarring you forever kind mm -hmm. of intensity. Yeah. And kind of on that note, but a lot, obviously a lot less of a degree... It makes me think of mosh pits to a degree and circle pits within the mosh pits, which are basically just the intent isn't to harm, but nobody in there is afraid of the pain that occurs with anything within that pit. Not only that, but I also, you're correct, I'm with you. I think about how it's a super high intensity moment. I, I recognize what you're saying also in like, I think about all of the circle pits that we've been in and how it's just a, it's like a competition to see who can expand the circle the hardest, like who can fall into everybody else to make the circle explode the most, like to victoriously circle pit the concert. I don't know. I don't even understand the purpose other than to hype people up. Yeah. And you haven't seen like a true crazy ass circle pit yet, to be honest. So, but once again, Mosh pits are generally amazing because people still help each other out within them. So not trying to scare any listeners away from that experience either. No. And I mean, as someone who had never experienced real mosh pits until I had gone to concerts with you, it's scary because it's something unfamiliar and it's everything is so intense and loud and bright. But you're totally right. There's nothing really scary about it unless people start falling or getting hurt. That shit's scary. But that's really easily avoidable. And you are correct. There is a very real etiquette in 
mosh pits and circle pits, like, that sounds stupid, but we've seen it. We've seen people step up to protect us in those experiences, even when we didn't need protecting, but it's a very normal thing. Yep. Can we also acknowledge how much I miss concerts? And now that we're talking about mosh pits, all I can hear in my head is Riot Maker and how much I miss Tech Nine shows. Fuck my life. I just miss live music like crazy. I cannot wait for us to go to our first concert together when concerts open back up. I don't know what that arm pump was, but I agree. Romans had the tomb of flogging in Italy, which was a room where the whipping would occur in celebration of Dionysus, the god of wine and fertility, and the Latin author Juvenal mentions whips in his satires. I never want to go to a place called the tomb of flogging. <laughs> no, Please don't book our honeymoon there, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Inside the Villa of Mysteries in Pompeii, the fresco shows a winged woman who supposedly initiated women into the secret cult of mysteries via bondage and flagellation techniques. I'm all for being in the cult of mysteries. That sounds like a fun cult. I want in. I was really processing was really processing how delightful that sounded, but I was still stuck in the tomb of flogging and how not delightful that sounded. So I was really delayed in the cult of mysteries and yes put my name down for that shit i like the cult of mysteries that sounds like a grand time so here's something you're going to be familiar with the name of ready the kama sutra aka one of the oldest books about sex approximately written approximately between 400 bce and 300 ce also covers some aspects of bdsm such as bites scratches slaps and screams are all mentioned that is really cool. I did not realize that Karma Sutra was that old. I mean, it's not older than porn, but at some point it probably fell in there. So that's awesome. But I really think that that's super cool that it dates back that far. Because, like, I just think about, I think about that time in history and, and I really have a hard time wrapping my head around, like, who authored this book? For some reason, I just imagine, like, a monk, like, a bald monk in, like, a robe who's, like, secretly scribing sex positions, like, in his... What is the word? Where do... Where do help me. It starts with a C. Conclave? No. Convent? In his convent. Well, I believe the Kama Sutra was written in Sanskrit, so I don't think it was a monk, but I get what you're going for. That's just the mental image that I have of just this... Just this... That's what I that's what I have. Can you just let me run with that thought? I actually in my mind? that thought more, honestly. <laughs> okay, so now my thought is what we're all just going to visualize. You can keep the factual information, but like visually, that's where we're all going together. So within it, there's actually a chapter on scratching with nails and another that covers consensual slapping. It also cautions that these should only be used on people who find the activities joyful. I feel like that should be the truth about any sexual activity. I agree. I just thought it was interesting that that was a call out already that far back. No, I agree completely. That's that's a huge deal. Like that means that we started in a place of recognizing like even if your sex gets a little weird, like it's it should still be respectful. It should still be something that both parties want. And then obviously that culture changed at some point because otherwise we wouldn't have like, this negative connotation associated with BDSM. 
So Japan is responsible for creating the art of hojo-jitsu, which was using elaborate rope configurations and knots on prisoners to prevent escape. A major factor of the practice was that the bond must also be pleasing to the eye as well as constricting. Often prisoners were humiliated and, I deleted a word, we're going to go with paraded around while bound. I think it's... I'm. I think it's really cool that the knots had to be aesthetically pleasing. Like, how random. Just, just really, just random. Because you're doing this thing that's, like, humiliating as fuck, and yet it must look good. That, in my super sadist little brain, makes me smile. This is a complete side tangent to it, but... Nick, within his job, learns a bunch of knots, and some of the knots and such that he learns are so beautiful, so I can see, I could totally see it being turned into an art form. I do find it kind of interesting that it was linked to an art form while tying up prisoners, but yeah. I mean, art is born in weird fucking places. Yep. So this was actually a precursor to shibari, which is Japanese erotic rope binding, and Probably an image that most people are familiar with. Can we go back to the Japanese method? What was that called again? I could totally be butchering this word. I didn't actually look up the pronunciation, but I believe it's hojujitsu. I love that word. I wanted you to say it again because I wanted to hear it again. Especially after you had said shish nish shish 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 shibari shish. Yes, after I heard Shibari, I liked Hojujutsu better. <laughs> All right, I'm still participating. I still work here. It's fine. Let's go. <laughs> there, was, there was just so much shushing happening on both sides of this communication. This information primarily came from Ranker.com. Marquis de Sade was a French nobleman and author during the 18th and 19th century. The eroticism, cruelty, and sexual acts of brutality he put in some of the subjects of his works led to the term sadism, which is used to describe sexual arousal from pain. I did just say my sadist little brain, too. Yep. Because I have that. I do have one of those. The term masochism was coined by psychiatrist... Shout out to our bisexuality episode, Richard von Kraft Ebing, to describe what he saw as perversion in the writing of author Leopold von Sacher Massach books Venus in Furs. The book details the life of a man who wants to be enslaved and punished physically by a woman. Also, I love that title. Venus in Furs? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised that that, honestly, that sounds more like a band name than a book name. I agree. And now I just want to go to, like, a Venus and Furs concert and, like, God, I need live music in my fucking life. Brothels in England during the 18th century offered floggings for pleasure, and some actually had machines to administer them to up to 40 people at a time. Shout out to, Na- shout out to Nancy Birch from Harlots. She was the flogger. Nice. I really need to watch that. You really do, and I would watch it with you if you have any interest, because it's so fucking good I would watch it for the fourth time. (laughs) Dear Harlots, if you want us to sponsor you, this is like Um, your fourth mention. It's actually on Hulu, so shout out to Hulu. Um, And please, can we like pick up, because I need to know what happens with Mrs. Quigley and with Lucy, and they're... Now that they own Golden Square, like, can you fucking get your life together? Because I can't just imagine that they play nice and get along. 
Spoilers for anyone that cares. <laughs> there was also the invention of the spanking chair by Mrs. Berkeley. A spanking chair? Mm-hmm. Say more things. That's all I've got. It was a chair that oh. spanks people. I thought it, it was, was pretty really straightforward. <laughs> Why are you such an asshole? It made cakes, and then it gave them to you as indicated by the name. The cake chair. Why is a chair making cake? I also don't understand. Did you get spanked in the chair, or the chair spanked you? How did the chair spank you? I don't like that idea. The, I was excited about it, and then you made it so uncomfy. I honestly didn't dig into it. I just assumed that there was a mechanism on this chair that would physically administer a slap to you. I could be completely wrong. Bitchy-ass chair. <laughs> so, coming closer to our era, industrialism impacted the materials used in intimate relations, such as metal and leather, which were used in costumes and pleasure toys. On the dress side of that topic... By the 1950s, homosexuals had developed the gay leather movement, which was based around the emerging biker culture. It was to counter assumptions of gay meaning effeminate and not manly, and it spurred the sexuality of black leather into contemporary fetish forms. I thought that was super cool. I also think that that's super cool. I love not only that symbolism, but also I have seen... Like, I have seen exactly this concept that you're talking about so many times, and I had no idea that that is where it stemmed from. I love that. Thank you, bikers. Pinup model Betty Page is also seen as an icon of the subculture as she posed for many fetish photographers. Shout out to Betty Page. She's beautiful. Look at those brows. Like, those are perfect brows. She is stunning. Yeah. Fun fact, my last name used to be Paige, so maybe we're related. You never know. By the late 20th century, the internet brought everyone with like-minded interests together with greater ease, and here we are today. Bum -ba -da -bum. I love your introduction noise. Thank you. <laughs> so this next section, I kind of wanted to break down the types that were defined within BDSM. There are different types of BDSM? The definitions within BDSM, I wanted to break down the meanings. Okay. This information is primarily from lioness.io. So bondage is anything involving restraints from handcuffs and silk scarves to shibari rope bondage and ceiling hooks. Even something like blindfolding your partner would fall into this category, which I don't think a lot of people think about. I definitely don't think that people associate like those very, I'm going to say innocent because on the spectrum that we're going to cover in this conversation, like... Blindfolding your partner is literally very PG, if not G-rated. So, I mean, yeah, it's in a sexual act, but compared to shibari and ceiling hooks, I'm just saying a blindfold is pretty mild. One extremely crucial piece in this area is to pay attention to safety and ensure that the sub or the partner that is being bound has good blood flow and is never left in a precarious situation. That's just something that I wanted to stress because anybody that's listening to the episode and thinks, hey, that's something I might want to start looking into, just keep safety in mind, especially in, really, especially in all of this, but bondage is something that people kind of forget 
if you walk away, situations can still occur. Like seizures could occur and tighten knots. Just various things could happen. Pay attention. Safety first and always. That's what we believe in here. Picnic! (laughs) On the discipline side of things. Discipline focuses more on behavior modification through physical or psychological punishments like spaking or erotic humiliation. So, for instance, um, making someone crawl to you or making them do something that is humiliating, whatever that means to them and whatever you have defined before engaging in the act. And then obviously there is the more physical punishment side of things. So... Am I understanding you say that, like, in that humiliation punishment piece, in that uh, concept, that it's something that both parties have agreed to, to say, like, this is the act. When I say do this, this is what I'm talking about. Are you good with that? And then the other person's like, yep, I'm good with that. And then going forward, it's this established thing. Is that sort of how that works or not really? Yep. I actually have a piece on that later on because it's a huge piece of the BDSM community and understanding. So definitely a crucial piece that I have a large portion dedicated to. Oh, okay. Well, I can't I can't wait to see and hear about your large portion. But um, <laughs> Domination and submission is a role play of power exchange in which the dom or top assumes a leader role over the sub or bottom who is expected to follow the instructions of the dom. In general, people lean towards being a dominant or a sub, but there are those that can also switch between the role while not in play, however, and they are referred to as a switch. So essentially, dams decide what their submissive can or can't do, anything from folding laundry, chores around the house, to controlling when they can or cannot climax. I was just trying to think, like, if I were to enter this world, like, if I would have, like, a standing position... Uh, like going into this. And I think I would want to be a switch just because I like the title. It is a fun title. Sadism and masochism. Oh, this is primarily from healthista.com. Oh, and this is a direct quote. This is normally the area of BDSM that most people can't define. However, it simply refers to the giving and receiving of pain. The masochistic experiences pleasure by being inflicted with pain, whilst for the sadist, the administration of pain produces pleasure. The difference between sadism and masochism and dominance and submission is that the former is all about inflicting pain and the latter is about control. So I want to make a note here that you can feature sadism and masochism within dominance and submission, but those two things don't necessarily always intertwine. It's not always a component of the dominant and submissive relationship. It can be completely separate, and that's really for any of these components. I think that's really important, and I really appreciate that you called that out. So when people think of the, uh, let's just call it the um, physical aspect of BDSM, they have a tendency to think of things like spanking or slapping, but this could also be something such as playing with hot candle wax or ice cubes or overstimulating or depriving the senses with the blindfold or headphones. So really, if you think about it, There's so much of a variation on this that it covers a huge range. It's not just like this intense situation that everybody immediately puts it in because of how the media has a tendency to portray it. It is not defined by a violent situation. There is more to it than that, which 
I'm going to be really honest. I was ignorant too until this moment. Not because these concepts are foreign to me at all. I mean, some of them I've even participated in. But I never would have considered ice cubes as a form of BDSM. I never would have I never would have done that because that just in my mind, given the exposure that I have to the stereotypes of BDSM, ice cubes did not fall into that category at all. Yep. And that's why we have taboos. Welcome to taboos. Yeah, and you made a really good call out there. Violence is not anything to do with BDSM. Violence and abuse, to me, go hand in hand, and abuse has no place within BDSM. So just to clarify that, 100%. I think that's also a super important call out, and I really appreciate that as a survivor of domestic abuse, but also as somebody who, I mean, I, you guys, I clearly just said I used fucking ice cubes and some of the other methods that Allie's already talked about. So clearly I'm a little freak and that's okay, but as somebody who has survived domestic abuse but still appreciates the eroticism within these things i appreciate that clarification so thank you not a problem one of the scenes that i saw i didn't write down what where i found it from unfortunately so i apologize to whatever article that was but there was a dominatrix that had said something along the lines of i may hurt you but i will not harm you and i think that was a really good way to define the difference between those two Shout out to that random dominatrix. We appreciate you. Okay, so tying it back to that piece on consent and how we were talking about awareness. So here's a whole spiel on it. Is this your large piece that I've been waiting for? Yes, this is the large piece. Oh, thank you, mistress. You're welcome. So there are two main terms within BDSM as far as indicating that the parties are knowledgeable and okay with what they're getting into. These terms are RAC and SSC. I'm going to cover RAC first. I think of titties. I also think of restraining racks. Oh, okay. Say more things about that. I also need to segue or sidestep and just clarify (laughs) that I don't like, I don't like RAC being used for tits and I don't know why. I agree with you, but you said racks, and I immediately was like, titties. Okay. (laughs) But I agree with you. I do not like rack being used to describe breasts at all. I think it's fucking hillbilly and trashy, and I hate it. It just doesn't sound appealing. No, not even close. And then also, this, okay, here's my side tangent on this racks concept. I hate, I hate, especially because we live in Wisconsin, and there are so many people in our area in our whole fucking state in this whole part of the country who hunt right and collecting racks is a big deal as far as like hunting and right that's a thing and i just really can't i really can't find where rack in term of a woman's body is like sensual or hot because then i just think about dead fucking deer yeah that's exactly what i think of too yeah All right, so let's move away from using racks, everyone. That's our goal in 2020. We're abolishing racks. (laughs) So the first part of that term means whisk whisk aware. Mm -hmm. Wow. Makes it up. A whisk whale. A whisk whale. A (laughs) willy. Risk a rare. (laughs) A whisk whale is back. 
<laughs> what does a whisk away? Is it a dress? Is it pants? Are we talking about whiskers or whisks? I at first thought it was whisks, like whisking, but then you said a whisk away. And now I'm just really confused on what our actual topic is. Are we talking about cooking or sex? I'm not sure anymore. Are you done? Maybe. Okay. Did you did you use the safe word? Picnic. Now I'm done. <laughs> I'm just going to start randomly shouting that out during any episode now. <laughs> or we're at work and you need a break. Picnic! <laughs> In the office would be even better. Aren't you glad we didn't go with hedgehog? <laughs> so risk aware. This basically means being fully aware of what can occur due to what is taking place and making sure that the steps to ensure risk is minimized to the fullest extent that it can be. So you have a contract, which we'll get into more later, and you outline certain things within that contract. Say you choose something like Knife play is a thing that happens within the BDSM community. Say within your contract, you've outlined that knife play is okay, but not that you might get into it in this particular scene, but you are aware of the risks if it is gotten into. Risk aware doesn't just mean that it's covered within that contract. It also means that if you get into it and if it is agreed upon, that you have taken all the measures to ensure that it's safe. So let's go back to that as an example. Say knife play is brought into it. You are making sure that everything is sanitized, that you have a safety kit available if anything occurs that gets out of hand, and that essentially everything is as safe as it can possibly be, and that both parties are aware that nothing is 100% safe, truly. So... Does that make sense? It does. And I had this really conflicting experience while I was listening to you explain that to me. And I understand that this is the draw of this type of relationship. Okay, so, hey, welcome to Taboos, where I'm about to say some shit that society would really be upset about me saying. But as you were explaining that, I both recognized how alluring that sounds and also how fucking scary that sounds which actually made it that much more alluring to me which is hello i'm i'm celeste and i'm a sadist it's nice to meet you but like that was really interesting to like hear you explain to me and experience like in my brain how i was thinking about it and immediately relating to like why that would be appealing to people do i want that Maybe not. I don't know. I'm afraid of knives, so I probably won't. But it doesn't minimize my experience in recognizing, like, that actually sounds really kinky and hot and wonderful in the correct circumstances. Mm -hmm. And we'll actually get more into possibly why that is in a bit. So the second part of rack is consensual kink, which essentially just means full consent and understanding of that consent between the parties. So full consent period, stop, no means no. We stand by that here. In any episode we ever talk about, no means no. Yep. So the other acronym, and the more commonly used one, RAC is fairly new, is SSC, which is safe, sane, and consensual. People use either or and kind of flip them around. They sound very similar, 
but from my research, I truly feel that they should be used in tandem with one another, and I'll explain why. Okay. So, to me, safe, sane, and consensual doesn't cover risk and awareness. My version of safe can be whatever. It can literally cover something completely different than what your version of safe can be, whereas risk awareness really breaks that down and makes you more safe. So, to me, rack and safe, sane, and consensual go hand in hand. The more risk aware you are, the more safe and sane your experience will be. So I really think about this. I just want to make this abstract because this is how my brain processed this. As you as you were talking and as I'm still over here just sort of basement flooded over the knife concept, which also scares the shit out of me. So I'm really struggling with that. But I think about that example and I think about these two definitions that you just provided us. And when I think about this, I think about this the SSC being a conversation between my partner and I and me saying, I'm interested in this. These are our boundaries. These are the safety precautions that we're taking. But that doesn't mean that I still couldn't get hurt. With the rack application, I recognize, yes, I still could get hurt, but we've taken that conversation to a different level of... Like you said, like we said, safety first. It isn't just this agreement that we've come to it, and this consenting moment that we've had. It is truly taking the safety piece of it to the next level. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, and to me, the risk awareness part is fully accepting that risk too. Yeah, and not just saying, well, we're safe. It's accepting that some of the aspects of BDSM are dangerous and can be hurtful to your body, and there are risks that come with that. I do think it's important that you called that out in my abstract interpretation of this of these definitions, because yes, like I recognize at that point, if I get hurt, that's not on my partner. That's on me because I chose this. I chose to do this. If my like accidents happen and I know that if I'm in this situation that my partner and I are on the same page and that they they wouldn't intentionally harm me like you had quoted that Dom earlier. Like I I know going into this that that's not part of it. So truly, if I get hurt, that's on me more than it is anybody else. Yep, exactly. I really appreciate that differentiation. Not a problem. And like I said, that's my understanding of it and my what I took from it because I really just kind of dug into it because I was super confused and that's what I took away. I think it's a solid takeaway. So within those guidelines, it is fully expected that all potential occurrences are discussed and contracts are super common to outline safety words or any health or additional concerns. They can be extremely in-depth. So I looked at one that was, for instance... If there is, if there are marks left on the body, where can marks be left? Is sex a thing that's going to happen? Because sex isn't a given or even necessarily a thing that occurs within BDSM. What kind of touches aren't allowed? What actions aren't allowed? What kind of verbiage isn't allowed or is allowed? What are you looking for out of this scene? What do you like to be called? What do you want to call me? I mean... This could literally be like a as long of a contract as you want it to be, and 
I was thoroughly impressed by some of these questions because I would have never thought of them. I think that's really fascinating on on so many levels. And I'm not exactly speechless, but I'm I recognize in this moment I'm very overwhelmed by this conceptually, but in a really great way. And I'm just this is very new to me. Nobody's ever explained this to me before. Again, I recognize this topic. I know this, but I know it from a very stereotypical lens. So I am truly just digesting all of this. And I think this is absolutely fucking fascinating. I'm just having a hard time wrapping my head around how organized this is. And Although sex isn't the outcome every time and that that's not fair to assume, this is a still a sexual experience, even if it doesn't end in getting your rocks off, like in that traditional sense. So I think that it's legitimately fascinating that this is quite literally a business transaction paired with this incredibly erotic sexual experience i I think this is fucking awesome it truly is to a degree a business transaction like the connection between the people that are within the play of it is very intense and obviously not business-like but the actual partaking in it is extremely business-like yeah you i mean even the fact that the terminology of contract is used like hi, I'm going to be a lawyer someday, and contracts are very much, that's my jam. I love contracts. Like, I love reading contracts. I'm not going to admit on our podcast that I'm a psycho who just, like, reads contracts for fun, but that might be real. And I think in applying this concept, I just, I think this is literally so cool, and I also recognize that this is so hot. Like, those two things coming together, like contracts plus orgasms, makes me, like, I'm super happy right now. <laughs> so here are a few random kind of side things for BDSM. I love random side things. Engaging in BDSM play is often called a scene within the community. I think about like a play, right? Like a yep, break a leg? Mm-hmm. But probably not. But no, that's against the racks. Yep. I'm learning. Safe words are taken seriously. Like, once again, no means no. On that topic, there can be varying degrees of safe words. So, for instance, a lot of people use red light, yellow light, green light to indicate whether or not something needs to continue, slow down, or full stop. And the DOM is 100% expected to bow to that demand i love this entire concept except as a parent i have to be really honest i hate the red light yellow light green light in a sexual situation we use we use those terms like if Tiny's running through the parking lot on her way to the car i'm like i use those terms or if she's at the playground and doing whatever i use those terms so i'm like really struggling <laughs> really struggling to think about them in a sexual <laughs> oh god now every time i'm gonna say green light it's gonna have an image associated with it 
Sorry to ruin that part of innocence for you. Awesome. Can't wait. Aftercare is an extremely crucial part of a scene in that you don't just call it done and go about your day. You make sure that both roles are fulfilled emotionally and can come back out of the role play to reality. Making sure that they're okay, especially if there was impact play involved, and that the scene went okay for both the dom and the sub is crucial. So, instances of aftercare could be tending to any, um, like, wounds that have occurred due to physical impact play. Cuddles, if there was demeaning things said, like emotional play, um... Literally anything can fall under aftercare insofar as making sure that people's physical and emotional well-beings are still intact and okay after a scene is complete. Because if you think about it, coming out of a high and just being like, peace is a terrible way to go about things. Not only that, but I think about if if I were to be interested in being demeaned in like name calling, right? So like if you call me all the bad names, which I'm not going to say on this podcast because I don't want anybody to know my actual dirty little secrets. But if you were to call me those names and then to walk away from me in the moment, yeah, those names are hot as fuck and I'm about it. But then if you leave me with those names, I'm like, whoa, that's not nice at all. Like, I don't deserve that. You don't deserve to speak to me that way. That's honestly like where I find that distinguishing line of this aftercare being absolutely necessary. Even just in that basic ass example of you called me a bad name and it got me all kinds of basement flooded, but then you walk away, it's no longer basement flooded. It is demeaning and demoralizing and fucking wrong to talk to me that way. So I appreciate this concept of when it's on, it's on. But then making sure that afterward, I know that you value me and respect me and appreciate me, especially in that I was allowing myself to be vulnerable with you as a sub or as a dom. Like that, I think, is really important. So I really appreciate that aftercare concept. And I didn't realize that that was part of this practice or the scenes. Like I didn't realize that there was this aftercare thing. So I think that's amazing, and thank you for teaching me that. Yep, literally everything I read on it, aftercare was stressed to the 10th degree, so it is extremely crucial within the community. I love that. So as someone that has a high pain tolerance and does not shy away from pain, like I strangely like getting tattoos, I love the pain after a good workout, Um, I was really interested in the link between pain and pleasure as it pertains to BDSM. So this is a little bit of research that I have on that. So there's a link between pain and pleasure within the brain. Research has shown that the sensations for them activate the same neuromechanisms, therefore interacting with the dopamine and opioid systems. This regulates the neurotransmitters that are involved in reward or motivation-driven or motivation-driven behaviors. So literally, the pain and pleasure areas of our brain are like buddy buddy and light up whenever similar instances occur now there are varying degrees of pain obviously if somebody stabs me with a knife and i'm not prepared for it i'm not gonna be happy about that pain but if it's something that i agreed to that is of a lesser format in a safe zone 
that can correlate to the pleasure area of your brain as well. Is this why I make my porn star noise when I get tattoos? I literally do not have an answer for you on that because, (laughs) guys, listeners, (laughs) all of you, literally all of the tattoo artists that were not doing (laughs) tattoos in the shop were checking in on the tattoo artist that was doing Celeste. But not really doing me, just tattooing me. Because of the noises that were coming out of Celeste's mouth. Because it sounded like they were really doing me. And I just sat there getting my hand crushed by Celeste (laughs) as she was getting her tattoos done. So you know this is a genuine pain response for me. You know that I'm not just making that noise because I like it. I really don't have a different noise. I just make that noise. You did that and you also did a lot of... (laughs) Lamaze breathing. (laughs) Okay, I can't help it. I really can't. I have... I have no pain tolerance and I'm terrible with it. And I do make the same noise and I can't help it. But I really appreciate you just absolutely throwing shade in that moment. And I'm embarrassed as fuck, but I'm here for it. It's fine. I brought this up. I brought this upon myself. It's going to stay. <laughs> now everybody knows my secret. But yeah, it's really bad. Uh, remember that one time when I was getting my foot done and the guy came- the guy from across the building came in and he was like, what are you watching? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one of the worst moments of my life. <laughs> I'll never forget it, though. It was good. And I'm glad you were with me for it. Same. So this is a direct quote from firstnews.com. Thus, the high experienced by people who find painful sensations sexually arousing is similar to that experienced by athletes as they push their bodies to the limit. Oh, like a runner's high. Yep, exactly. Oh, that's so dope. And that brought it to a totally different place for me because I can I can physically relate to a runner's high. Like I understand what that means. And not to say that I don't understand what this means in relation to sexual pleasure, but that extreme exertion, that is something that I was not drawing a connection to. So I actually think that's really fucking amazing because runner's high is like so dope mm-hmm. <laughs> and i hate running if i'm running you should also be running i don't know why but i just got this image of like a t-rex after you i don't know why there are dinosaurs but that's exactly real that's yeah that's if i'm running there's definitely a t-rex coming so you should also be running or i mean the options are there's a t-rex a serial killer or there's donuts in the direction ahead of us so either way pick up the pace here Allie's fucking dying. I was not prepared for that. Are you okay? What's happening? Cranberry juice does not feel good going out your nose. Is this like the time that I choked on Cabernet Sauvignon? From the YMCA. (laughs) It's a horrible song! (laughs) Shout out. Shout out to our white privilege episode. I agree though. I... I also love that runner's high. I don't get it from running because I also do not run. (laughs) I get it just from extreme workouts and truly pushing your body to the limit as far as it can go. I love that feeling 100%. So I'm there for it. I agree 100% for sure. So on that note as well, pain experienced during a positive experience might also be dulled during... Jesus Christ, I use experience three times in this one sentence. 
And you went from like pain and experience to dulled, and your face was. Because <laughs> I saw that I used experience two seconds later. Okay, let me refigure this out. Pain experienced during a positive interaction might also be dulled during that experience. It can also create a strong bonding moment as the amount of trust that goes into allowing someone to inflict pain upon you in a safe capacity needs to be strong. Also, it can help focus on the present moment as opposed to exterior occurrences within their lives. So, when I talk about pain, I'm not just talking about physical pain. I'm also talking about emotional pain because there is, like I mentioned in the domination and punishment portion, a demeaning factor that can be involved in some of these relationships. And if it's within a safe and enjoyable capacity, it's not it's not as painful because it's expected, it's agreed to. You've asked for it at that point. Like like literally, I don't mean that in a rape culture way. I mean you asked for it. I asked to be called these demeaning names because I think that they're hot in this environment. Yeah, exactly. It's giving you that power back. You're agreeing to these things. It's not unexpected. It's a safe and good place. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I really liked, and we'll go into this in a little bit as well, it can help focus on the present moment as opposed to exterior occurrences within their lives. This is a little bit of a sidetrack, but I can fully understand this part. I said in our self-love episode that I was a self-harmer in high school. Part of that was due to the control that it gave me back within my life and the um, bringing me back to the moment. I guess you could say, now I was not using this in a healthy manner whatsoever, so I'm not associating that to anything within BDSM. I want to make that clear. But I can understand how pain can bring you back to a moment as opposed to letting your life and other thoughts overwhelm you from experiencing that moment. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. Can I bring this to Can I bring this to a super mundane, super easy example that we can all relate to because as you were explaining that, I know I, I can't relate to the self-harming piece because I don't have experience with that, but your comment about pain bringing you back to the moment, I totally can relate to this, and I guarantee you everyone else can. May I share that? Of course. Okay. So, everybody go here with me. You are cleaning the house. You are doing stuff. You are doing laundry. You are taking care of the kids. Everything seems like it's just going very fast. It's not necessarily hectic or chaotic or bad. It's just going fast. And then guess what? You stub your toe. What happens in the moment you stub your toe? Everything stops. Everything stops. The dog stops. The kid stops. The laundry stops. Everything stops for like that three seconds of your body registering the pain of you stubbing your toe. That is this moment. Yep. That was a great example. Thank you. I did this yesterday. So that was at the top of my mind. <laughs> I legit thought I broke my fucking toe. Stubbing your toe and knocking your funny bone on anything is probably some of my most annoying like my biggest annoyances ever i fucking hate that shit there's nothing humorous about it jesus christ <laughs> it took you so long to <laughs> that was the leg why why do you love me jordan josh aj you guys can have her AJ. 
She's clearly supposed to be on your show. I'm a dad on Dayquil now. <laughs> I am a dad now. I am a dad technically, so let's go. So as to the why one would get involved in BDSM, this is from psychologytoday.com. Being dominated is an extremely common fantasy. In one study, over 1,500 women and men were asked about their sexual fantasies, and 64.6% of women and 53.3% of men reported fantasies of being dominated. That is outrageous considering both of those percentages are more than half of those populations. That's insane. And here's the thing, too. A lot of people don't associate being dominated with BDSM, but that is literally within the definition of BDSM. I think that that's so fascinating, and I really wish that, I wish this was one of those episodes where I could watch our listeners, like, expressions and faces as they were listening, and the light bulb hit them, where they're like, oh, I like that. That's BDSM. And then, like, collectively, we're all having this moment together where we realize that this is actually something that we all personally are really interested in that has this, like, really legitimate stigma to it. Not that the the stigma is legitimate, but there is a legitimate stigma. Yep, I agree. On the flip side, 46.7% of women and 59.6% of men fantasized about doing the dominating. So shout out to the 46.7% of women that are dominatrix. Shout out, ladies. Keep killing it. I actually am surprised, though, by those numbers. I'm just really being honest. I actually thought that those numbers would be higher. I, I don't know why, but I recognize that you said that the men percentages are higher than the women percentages, which does make sense to me. But I really thought that the male percentages by themselves would have been a lot higher. Yeah, I can understand that. I think society has skewed that perception as well. I think that 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 I think that that is a really fair point to make to my assumption. So thank you for honestly like putting me in my place in that moment because I agree that is probably my assumption based on stereotypes that society has created. I wasn't trying to call you out. No, I know, but it went very well with this tone. I I totally gave you like a dom moment and do you not want to be? I don't have my whip anywhere near me. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, go get it. I'll wait here. (laughs) Okay, then I'll just drive all the way over there. I'll be here waiting, baby. Continuing the why. Some people just like the pleasure of pain. Period. I really don't think that needs more of a reason. No. If that if that's your thing, if that's what you like, cool. So these next few ones I thought were so cool. I think you're so cool. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it allows you to let go of yourself and just be there for that person. So you can literally step outside of all of your social constructs and all of your expectations and all of what you are supposed to be and just be. I love that. I love that. And at first I was going to bring it to a place of like role play. But then as you continued your explanation, I recognize that it's actually not role play. It's 
truly like the stripping of identity in that moment and instead of being an identity you are your role you can completely surrender to all of your desires and fantasies and and just freakishness in that moment it's not a role play at all i think that's really fucking cool Mm -hmm. so a big thing that i saw was the relinquishing of control especially if you're unable to in other areas of your life so i think of the high profile businessman or businesswoman that just wants to give up that control and not have to run something for like two seconds of their lives and just have somebody else tell them what to do to get on their knees and crawl to them. Here you go. Here's here's an escape. Hi, my name's Celeste. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I am a little control freak, so this is right up my alley. And you're my alley. Oh, the head throwback is new. The head throwback and deep sigh is new. That one hit a nerve. I know it. <laughs> that nickname is so original. I <laughs> What, your nickname of Allie? That's your name. What are you talking about? Saying I'm your Allie. Shout out to Lance for Diagon Allie. <laughs> That's still my favorite. My favorite is from someone I used to work with in retail, and it was Allie Oop. Oh, I like Allie Oop. That's cute. That's super, super cute. But yeah, for me personally, Diagon Allie is like the best one I've ever heard. So, Lance... I love you. You're amazing. I pray to God you burn that fucking shirt, but I do love you. I don't even think he did, though, because when I approached him about the episode that he's going to join us in for future, he was like, should I wear my shirt? And I was like, I will fucking kill you. Like, don't do it. I thought we agreed that that shirt was going to die a thousand deaths. If you come on my show with that shirt on, we will delete your audio. (laughs) Dear listeners, just know that This shirt conversation is a very important one. We'll put out a poll as to whether or not Lance should burn the shirt, and everyone needs to vote yes. (laughs) It's so bad. (laughs) That way we can send it to him. If you love us, this is a testament of your love. We need you to vote for Lance to burn this shirt. That is how I know you support us truly. So aside from just the major like business person or somebody that's in a position of quote-unquote power within a job structure, I think of the parent that's running everything in their lives or literally this can relate to anybody that's overwhelmed that just wants to have somebody else take the reins for half a second. And surrender. Can I tell Mm -hmm. you, even in a not sexual way, even in a completely platonic just way can i tell you what it would mean to me to just be able to surrender for just even like 30 minutes to just surrender to not have something to do or think about or worry about again in a non-sexual way that sounds euphoric to me so then if you add this component to it of this of bdsm where we are bringing a sexual component to it goddamn That's like a goddess gasm all over again. As a reminder, though, that sexual component doesn't have to be there. Like, this can all be fully clothed. You can take instructions from your dom, and it has nothing to do with sexual performance or anything of that nature whatsoever. The dom and sub interaction can 
truly be totally platonic and just a submission of yourself. That's fair. I think I just recognized in myself that I wouldn't like this unless it were in a sexual setting. So I think that that's why I personally keep bringing it back there because I recognize that I would really only do this and I would really only enjoy this in that environment. But that's me personally. That's Celeste. That's my preference. I I totally support anyone and everyone who's like, no, I would totally enjoy that in a platonic environment. Get it, girl. Like, go. Do it. Enjoy. Have fun. Be safe. Make good choices. I love that. That's just not where I find this concept appealing. Yeah, I can I can totally understand what you mean. Some people find power in accepting pain, orders, or demoralization, but also having the power to end that. This is their choice. So a lot of examples I read were people who were abuse or rape victims and reclaiming that power. They would have those scenarios reenacted with the ability to end them or re-experience them within their control and say, no, this is over, this is done, this is me, it's within my power and my grasp. It helps them move past that situation. Okay, I'm going to get real serious for a second. I'm going to get real, real serious. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that concept, again, as a victim of genuine domestic abuse and as a victim of some real horrifying shit i cannot tell you what that experience would mean to me in value to be able to do that i don't even know if i could okay i'm just hypothetically i'm hypothetically going there if i could reenact a specific moment of my life where my life almost ended and reclaim that moment I would like to believe that that would be the final piece of my PTSD that could be worked through and cured. And cured isn't the right word, but alleviated. I- I'm so in control of my PTSD at this point that that concept is the only remaining piece of my trauma that I can't get my hands around. And I can't get my hands around it because I can't go to that memory without collapsing, without extreme reaction so to know that this option exists and it could be used in a very therapeutic sense that is literally the coolest fucking thing i have ever heard ever in my life yeah i thought that was it was just mind-blowing reading the story i was of this trans woman with her dom She had been previously abused and how BDSM was helping her reclaim herself. It was beautiful. And she trusted her dom and her partner. It like their their relationship obviously is not about abuse. It's about empowering her as a sub. Right. And I think that that when you say reclaimment, that is where I go. Again, as a victim, but then I put myself in this position of reclaimment, and in this position, I would be the sub. They are different situations. They are different experiences and stories, but if I'm making this scene where I am again the victim, but in this situation a sub, to know that I can overcome my abuser by ending this moment with my dom, that honestly would be like transformative to my previous experiences as a victim 
And I don't even like to use the word victim because I'm a survivor of domestic abuse. But truly in this conversation, saying survivor is not the correct terminology because as a victim, you are the sub. I mean, that that's exactly. That's what you are, by choice or not by choice. Uh, so I just think that that's really important. And again, I recognize that as a therapeutic thing. I, I do, because if I were to experience that, that would be therapeutic as fuck for me. Yeah, and I might throw that particular article in our show notes as well, because it was super insightful. I would love that, because I personally would like to read it. For some individuals, it allows adrenaline rushes in safe spaces. I'm all for this. Because who doesn't love adrenaline rushes in safe spaces? Actually, oh my god, that totally made me think of our serial killer episode about why people are serial killer fascinados. Why? Because it's a safe, scary moment. It's scary, but it's safe. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Plus, like, other people do crazy-ass shit, like jump from airplanes and you don't see people side-eyeing them as much as you do when people do BDSM. That is an excellent comparison, and yeah, like, the crazy, insane adrenaline junkie is, like, totally allowed to, like, live their life and go skydiving and judgment-free, tell me about your amazing experience, but the adrenaline junkie who's, like, I just want to be dominated AF, like, that's weird. It's the same adrenaline rush. Like, what, what makes one okay over the other? And either way, mind your fucking business. Mm-hmm. Like, someone can jump out of a plane and, yeah, they're looked at like they're a little crazy. Side note, I would love to jump out of a plane someday. Side note, never. But they're not looked at like they're a weirdo. Like, somebody finds out that you have, like, paddles or handcuffs or whatever. You're getting some serious side eye. Like, it's a significant difference. I don't disagree with you. And I go back to, what is the distinguishing factor between those proclivities what makes skydiving okay but handcuffs and paddles and wax not i just not only is it not your business but there is not a difference in what the person is seeking which is adrenaline so what what is the difference other than one is outside in the open and in public and the other is behind closed doors and none of your fucking business that's the difference. So I'm just not sure like why that is a focal point, however. And now I'm wondering if naked skydiving was their passion, would it be looked at differently? You know what I mean? No, I don't. I don't even want to go there. No, I do understand what you're saying, but no, I don't know what you mean. Because the idea of naked skydiving, let me tell you, I immediately imagine my nipples like blowing off or like insects like suddenly in my belly button. I hate every single idea of this, including the fact that I'm still skydiving, which literally makes me want to fucking vomit. So now I'm skydiving, I have no nipples, and there's bugs in my belly button. This sounds like the worst day of my life. Wow. <laughs> I did just have a tangent about naked skydiving. Hi guys, welcome to Taboos. That might be the most random thought that has ever occurred on this show. Stay tuned for more, because there will be. So this is my last little piece on the why. Per a study that was covered with psychologytoday.com, those that engage in an altered state of consciousness experience the following. Quote, Bottoms entered an altered state called transient hypofrontality, 
which is associated with reductions in pain, feelings of floating, feelings of peacefulness, feelings of living in the here and now, and time distortions. Taps, in contrast, entered the altered state known as flow, which is associated with focused attention, a loss of self-consciousness, and optimal performance of a task. Literally, anyone that is in this experience is experiencing an altered state of consciousness. To a degree, they're getting high is not the term I'm looking for, but that's the term I'm going to go with because my brain is mush from this cranberry drink. Ecstasy. They're achieving ecstasy. It isn't a high in the same sense, but it is still a climax, which comes with a natural version of ecstasy. So I think that's fair to say. Here's the thing, too. I was reading this definition or this description that I just read you. I feel this when I listen to certain music, when I just plug in my headphones and lay in a dark room and just listen to certain music. I feel this altered state of consciousness. That is real to me, and that is fully biological to me. Uh, I know you and I feel spirituality and energy differently, but that is a very real thing, and I can 100% understand how within these experiences that's something that can occur. And yeah, if that's what's happening, I definitely understand the drive for it. Remember that one time when I had a euphoric moment at our prof concert when Minnesota came out and started rapping that one song and like held my hand and shit? That's legitimately where I go. Like, yes, you can do it with your headphones. I've never experienced euphoria like that from like my own personal music in my ears. Like I can get really close. But but that euphoric moment that I experienced at the prof concert, that that is what I think of. And I agree with you. If if that state, if that emotional and mental and just out of body experience could happen in a different method than live music for me, I would be about that all the fucking time because I still still can feel that moment. I can still feel his hand in my hand. I can still feel feel the tears running down my face and I didn't even know this song or the words or anything about this moment other than we were all there together and it was pure euphoria. If that was obtainable in my own home or in an experience with a partner, fuck. I'd be on that shit all the time. Yep, I agree. Yep. Yep. Shout out to Minnesota. So one thing that I wanted to point out that I didn't really write down or fit anywhere uh, within this, trust within BDSM is crucial. You must trust your partner. And to me, trust and love, although not necessarily interchangeable terms, go hand in hand. Trust is a part of love, which is why I tied it into this month. I love that you did that. Trust to me is to a degree more important than love. You can't have love without trust. So do not engage in this experience with someone you do not have that trust and foundation with. I need to stress that. That is important. And also, why would you want to? Why would you want to really surrender yourself to this incredibly vulnerable moment? If you are thinking about someone specifically in your mind right now and you're like bob would be the perfect partner for this i should do this with bob because he will not judge me 
He will not care. He will be down for it. Let's go. Let's do this. But if you're thinking to yourself, okay, but if something bad happened, would Bob really be there for me? Then he's not the right fucking person to do this with. If you have any doubt in your mind, if your partner, if your chosen partner to experience this with would not be completely on your side in the event that anything happened, then don't even try it. Like find someone else or experience this in your own way, but don't bring it to a place of like complete vulnerability to someone else because it's just not worth that violation. Agreed. And there are play parties and such where you can go and you can be involved in it. There are, um, I forget what they're called. They're essentially, bouncers is really the wrong term, but I'm going to use bouncers. They make sure that safety is in place at all times. So those precautions are in place, but always obviously do your research. Make sure where you're going is on the up and up and... Go with someone you trust. I think those are really good call-outs. On that kind of segue, if this is something that you want to get into, start slow. Make sure, make sure, make sure to form solid rules and never leave your partner in a precarious situation. Don't forget about the aftercare. Is this, are we getting to the part where it's Q&A? Are we, uh, what, what are we doing? Is there a Q&A? I have questions. You can ask questions. I can try to answer them. But yes, that was my last bit. <laughs> I was like, you're winding down. I I have questions. Okay, so my first question is, how would someone, okay, someone whose name hypothetically might be Celeste, <laughs> how would this hypothetical person, like, get into this? How, I, like, how do you even broach this world? In something that is more severe than, like, the PG-rated blindfold or the fuzzy handcuffs. Like, like where I, I just, I hear you talk about play parties, and I really love that idea, but I struggle to imagine that we have play parties here where we're from. So, how do, like, normal Midwesterns get into this shit? I just need to know. So there are various resources that you can check out on the web. Um, I believe one of the main ones is, I could be wrong if this is like still a current main one, but FetLife used to be pretty big. I'm sorry, what did you just say to me? FetLife, like fetish life. I heard you say fat life, and I was like, I'm sorry, what? There's also Kinku. Um, there is Obedience. These are all like fetish apps. Okay. Obviously, once again, build that trust. Oh, really? I shouldn't do this with strangers? I'm going to punch you. Not in a sexy way. Yes, mistress. <laughs> not in a sexy way. <laughs> I'm going to punch you in a not sexy way. Sarcasm is my thing. Thank you very much. Yes, that's true. Um. Okay, so my next question is, um, one of the things that I was thinking about as we were talking about the different types of scenes is like, what about airplay? Is airplay a type of BDSM? I would imagine it is, but that wasn't something you mentioned. So now I need to know. By airplay, do you mean breath play? Yes. I would imagine that it would be, yeah, because you're constricting someone's airplay. Airway. <laughs> you were mad at me for saying airplay and then you said it anyway. Vodka. <laughs> 
is my kryptonite, apparently. Vodka gives me menopausal symptoms, like hot flashes, and I get real violent, and I just don't do vodka. I'm really warm right now. <laughs> Welcome to menopausal symptoms, Allie. Um, okay, what was the other question that I had? Um, okay, so the other place that I think about, and I want us to have an episode on this regardless of the fact that it is a BDSM component or not, but like, would pet play also be considered a form of BDSM or not? Not. Yep, most definitely. So there are areas of BDSM that I did not break into because I did not know how long this episode was going to be with my notes and I got really nervous about how many notes I had. So a few areas of the dom and sub um, relationship are pet play. Okay. Which is exactly what it sounds like. The dom is the dom. And the sub acts as a pet, like a cat or a dog or what have you. Um, sometimes they will wear associated gear with whatever animal that they're playing out. Sometimes they will sleep in a cage. They will have food or water bowls, things of that nature. Another area is age play, which the dom or the sub act different ages. Okay. That's where like the diaper, um, adult diaper play and brat play comes into play. Guys, I'm just going to say play 7,000 more times, okay? Play, 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 play. So I think that that's actually really interesting, and I didn't bring... I would not in any way have drawn a connection between BDSM and age play. So I think that that is super interesting. Like, literally super just interesting, like, fascinating, like, contextually. I don't feel any sort of draw to age play, but... The fact that it is a component of BDSM, I really think is really cool and really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And then one that I read about that I had never heard of before was primal play, which is essentially more of a hunter and prey type. The dom acts like a hunter and the sub acts like his prey. So it is very carnal and very primal. And I would imagine in that scenario that the prey probably fights back a bit and isn't fully submissive. I could be completely misconstruing that, though. Uh, once again, shout out to Harlots for having an entire scene on this concept uh, with Lucy and one of her suitors. I don't know if that's the right word, but regardless. Uh, but I recognize what you're saying, and I think about, like, there's a ton of books, like really old books. That concept I recognize, the predator and prey, in this sort of relationship, even in a sexual component, that's been around for a long time. So that one I recognize, but I, again, I would not have put it in the category of BDSM. In you saying it, obviously that's where it belongs, like without question, yes, because it's very clear sub and dom relationship. But without my understanding of what BDSM really was, given the stigmas and the assumptions and the stereotypes, I would not have drawn that connection. So I think that that's really interesting, and I really appreciate learning that. Not a problem. I'm happy that I can answer some of your questions versus not knowing anything you asked. No, you're doing great. Do you have any more? Um, 
No, because my brain is just swirling in other things right now. So I'm really struggling to come up with questions. So obviously, there are a lot of, we're going to say, instruments that can be used within the impact play portion or the physical portion of dominance or punishment. It's such a wide range that we could literally be here all night discussing them. But I would say the more tame ones are whips or crops or paddles. Um, And obviously those can be used as lightly or as strongly as agreed upon. So, What about toys? Yep. Oh, sweet. Stay tuned for our episode on toys. So for instance, we talked about how doms can deny a sub from orgasming yeah imagine being subjected to a toy that would normally make you orgasm and you're not allowed to oh my god i hate that idea oh my god the control freak in me immediately got anxiety and was like no i hate that idea (laughs) i can recognize that as a fantasy that i could give into so and in true ally and celeste fashion we could not be more opposite Interesting, too, because I would consider my personality more dominant than your personality, although in public, you are probably a more dominant personality than I am. I would agree with that completely, actually. I I really would. And it isn't in anything other than I am more extroverted than you are. So in public, yes, I would come off as the dominant one. But when we are together, when it is you and I just chilling. I I totally recognize you as the dom between the two of us. Like, not even that drastically because I don't feel as though you ever dominate me. But I do recognize, like, you are just that much more comfortable with being in charge when it's just the two of us. And I just don't, I just don't care. And I really appreciate the time to not be in charge. So I give in to that. And I think that's actually one of my favorite things about our friendship is that when we are actually, like, together, I actually get a break from, like, being in control because you're really good about just managing it and doing all the things and being the blueberry. And that's my favorite thing about you. We literally just brought this conversation back to, like, a low-level example of, a, like, a dominant sub-relationship. That's really cool. I love that. I I do. I love that. I love that this is something that could be obtained in a friendship. And then also, I recognize... I recognize in working through that mentally, wow, I just did a real hand thing. I did a real, my hands did a thing. Jazz hands. Wow, okay. <laughs> Full-blown explosive jazz hands. Um, I recognize that in that example, I do experience this and I am drawn to this in a not sexual way. So shout out to like 25 minutes ago when I was like, no, I would not want to be a part of this unless there's a sexual component. I recognize that this is our friendship and there's nothing sexual about our friendship other than all of the sexual innuendos and compliments and winks and inappropriate shit that we say. But like, that's all, all in good fun. So I just, I don't know. I think I do. I think that's really fascinating that I can identify that our friendship is this way without being a sexual component. I think that's amazing. Dear listeners, sorry if your fantasies were crushed just then. Fantasies are okay. Why would we ruin anybody's fantasies? <laughs> um, That's really all I had. Except for if anybody is listening that happens to be in a dominant submissive relationship, 
please, for the love of Jerry, email us. I want to interview you so bad. Jesus Christmas, yes. They, people don't know who Jerry is. Like, they I don't, don't understand that reference. Okay. Jerry so, is very important in our lives. <laughs> Jerry? Jerry is the most important in our lives. Uh, but I agree completely. Yes. I think it would be fascinating to interview. I actually would be interested in interviewing a couple who does this, like both the Dom and the sub. I would be absolutely fascinated by that conversation and I would want to understand the dynamic in that relationship and what, like, honestly, not really in, like, even a super inappropriate tell us all the dirty details kind of way, but just the dynamic and that chemistry and what that feels like to surrender or to completely take over. Like, I would absolutely fucking love that. So, yes, please reach out to us for the love of Jerry. We would like to speak with you. If you would like to reach out to us, listeners or potential dom-sub couples, you can reach us on our Twitter or our Instagram, which are both Taboos the Pod. You can reach us on our Facebook, which is just Taboos. Or you can send us an email at taboospodcast at gmail.com. I know that we don't usually plug our socials until the very end, but that felt like a really organic place to throw out how you can find us. So I just wanted to get it done and out of the way in a really natural part of the conversation i think that was a perfect place to put that thank you very much i would also like to ask you what you learned here today i would like to start with you um because i'm still digesting all the things i've learned i'm still processing all the things that i've learned and i'm also trying to come out of a state of sort of aroused and i'm not really thinking very clearly so i'd like to hear what you learned here today so i was I was really blown away by the history of it, like how far back examples of it went. It felt validating to see that it's been going on for literally, not literally, pretty much forever. And it's here to stay. And it shouldn't be viewed the way it is. Also, as a point, Fifty Shades of Grey, not a good example. Throw that shit in the trash. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it for a reason. But from my understanding... Whatever her name was, had no understanding of what she was going into, so please do not use that as a reference. I think that that's actually a really good call-out for several reasons. One being, also, not only was there not a contract, she entered this relationship with a complete fucking stranger. That's weird. Like, super weird. I didn't see the movie either. I don't want to see the movie because I just, I think that it is geared to a very specific audience that I am not part of. So I, I don't have any interest in seeing the movie. I did own the books at one time. It's actually really funny that you said throw them in the trash because I donated them to Goodwill like literally a week ago. Because they were in a box in my Harry Potter closet where I ended up moving the recording stuff to. They were just in a box in there and it's been there since we moved in. And I was like, I don't need this box of books. What's in here? And, like, all of the Fifty Shades books were in there because my grandmother got them for me. Like, shout out to the fact that that's weird as fuck. But I had them, and I was like, I definitely am never going to read these. These can be donated. Like, goodbye. Get out of my house. Filth. So what did you learn here today? Um, I learned that I have some research to do for myself for some of my own proclivities that I may have recently discovered, a.k.a. in this episode. 
I also recognize that I genuinely just learned a lot about the true aspects of BDSM and the true intentions and the true process as to how it works. And I honestly learned so much here today. I really think about like our Satanism episode where like I was not prepared at all for the reality of the topic. Like I just didn't know what to expect and I was so unfamiliar with the truth that this entire episode was a genuine learning experience for me. And I really, really appreciate that. I think you did fantastic with the research. I love that you brought it to all kinds of different, like, validated places. I absolutely think that you killed this episode, and I just, I'm here for it. I love all of this. Thanks. I hope that anybody within the community at least feels I did a decent job. It was a lot of information, so I tried. But I think that the information is important. Because the information is what turns it from a taboo topic into a very normal conversation. It is those factual points of saying, this has been around for a long time. This is a very popular thing. Lots of people enjoy this. Equally, but maybe not so equally, men versus women enjoy this. Equally, maybe not so equally, there are doms and subs. Like, this is everywhere. And even us bringing it to the place of explaining that our friendship works in this format, I I just really think about, like, those things can't be contested by stigmas because we are bringing facts to them. Stigmas exist because of ignorance and uneducated perspectives. Stigmas don't exist because it was proven to be this way. That's not called a stigma. That's called a fact. Yep, I agree 100%. So I think all of your information was super important and valuable, and I am here for it. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I enjoy you. (laughs) Dear listeners, we hope that you enjoyed the episode as well. We do have one more quick announcement here before we shimmy on out. I just heard your boom yell picnic. (laughs) (laughs) I've hit this thing more tonight than I have any other night. I know. That's why I don't understand why why your boom is the sub in this situation. Like, it didn't do anything wrong. So, I also didn't see you establish a contract. Less vodka in my drink next time is my contract. <laughs> I'm so excited to tell you guys about our last little segment of this episode, which is announcing the winner of our Satanism Pokemon contest. Uh, for anybody who is new to our show and is unfamiliar with what we're talking about, Allie and I hosted a drawing contest for the to go along with our Satanism and his Pokemon Evolutions, which is an episode that we did in October. So go check that out. It's literally called Satan and his Pokemon Evolutions. It's about Satanism. I know I just said all of the things several times, but if you're new here, maybe you don't know that that's also something we do is be repetitive AF. But It's a fantastic episode. We love it. And we made a contest because we were really curious what Satan and his Pokemon evolutions would look like. You are welcome to go check out our Twitter to see the two finalists. But it is my honor and privilege to announce the winner of our Satanism Pokemon contest, which was Bex. Oh my god. The goats won. And they're so cute. Beezybub. Beezybub is my 
my favorite. Oh, I love him and his little beezy bubness. They were super adorable. I thought the idea of goats for Saiyan's Pokemon Evolutions was incredibly unique. And I love Blasphemous little fiery tail and butt. His little tail is hilarious. I love them. So your designs will be going on a t-shirt, Bex, and we will be reaching out to you regarding your prize. Yeah, that pretty much covers it. So if anybody is interested in purchasing one of our Satanism and his Pokemon Evolution designs, they will be on our T Public page, which you can find in our Linktree link. Um, have you ever looked for anybody on T Public or even ourselves? Have you like used the search bar on T Public to look for people we know? For people we know, yes. Also for us, we're really easy to find. Like taboos is because we're spelt so uniquely, we're easy to find. Okay. Others I've searched for, not so much. Yeah, I tried to find Dads on Dayquil when I was on Tee Public. Like, I was trying to create, like, a mass order for myself. Like, I wanted to buy from every one of our friends' shops. And I could not find anyone. Like, like the only way I could find people is if I went to their Twitter pages and found their link trees and then went to Tee Public through their link tree, the search bar has like super sucked for me in finding the people that I want to find on TeePublic. So I appreciate knowing that we are easier to find. I have never looked for us in the search bar, but I have run into that issue with other people that we care about in their merch. So I was just curious if that's a thing. So shout out to TeePublic. Maybe refine your search filters a little bit. Agreed. So that is... I think all we had, right? Yeah. Uh, You guys, if you want to spread the love that is taboos, see what I did there? Yeah. I did. I did. Spread them. Spread them. Love is love. Oh, I covered all the things and I didn't even realize it. You did. You really, wow. You're like, see what I did there? And then you didn't even see what you did there. We would appreciate if you would share us with someone that you think might enjoy us. Or might hate us. We're not. We don't care either way. You know, have them give us a go. Pain and pleasure. I'm gonna stop clicking into the mic now. <laughs> also, to be honest, this is super selfish on my part, but um, we haven't had any new reviews in a while. So, so if you love us and want to shout us out with some love that's written down somewhere, feel free to leave a review on uh, Apple, whatever the fuck Apple calls itself now. And is Apple really our only option at this point? I'm just literally over here, you guys, like, blown away at how atrocious that ask was. I'm not mad about the ask. I love the call to action. And yes, I agree. Like, selfishly, please review us because I love getting them. Like, I just love seeing them. They make me happy. They make me smile. But you fucking murdered that. There was no contract in the way that you just approached that ask. That was atrocious. I'm sorry, you guys. I am offended that those words came out of Allie's mouth in that way. That was so bad. (laughs) Feel free to go more delicately. Please go rate us because we like reading your comments. And if you love us, we just want you to share that love with us so that we know that you love us. Because love is love. Sorry, guys. Celeste clearly owns, like, those little feather-like whip things, and I apparently have a paddle, so. (laughs) 
this is why I'm the sub and not the dom. Sorry, not sorry. On that note, you guys, as always, do you be taboos. Picnic! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.